Well, today we're going to continue our series called Definition of Disciple, and our director of uh, uh, prayer and connections, uh, Don Wilson, is going to be preaching for us, but I'm going to pray for Don since he's all the way in the back of the room. It's going to take him a while to get up here. Father God, thank you so much for the way you are working in our midst, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for the challenging words I know that Dee's going to bring this morning. I pray that you would uh, speak through him, uh, Lord, and the, the convictions, uh, Lord, that come from your word would be ones that we would receive. Um, Lord, they may be hard words, but help us respond to you with love and obedience. And uh, be with my brother as he brings the word. Holy Spirit, would you just um, uh, watch over this time and bring your truth forward, Lord, and then push down the lies of the evil one uh, that your truth would rise up. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, New Hope family. <clears throat> so, um, I actually, I, I know a lot about, uh, about where my name, you know, derives from. And just for the record, my actual name is not D-Will. Um, <laughs> it's just a, a Geno-given nickname. But I actually know where my name derived from, and it's uh, my, my full name is actually Donald. And so when I was actually writing this message, um, I learned that it derived from Scotland. It's a Scottish word. Uh, but I always knew, I think from about third grade, um, that it meant proud ruler. And so when I was writing this message, at one point it got really hard, and so I just decided, hey, maybe I should just take a flight to Scotland and just not even, uh, not even and participate in today's sermon. But I actually wanna read, um, I actually wanna read uh, the true definition of my, uh, of my name. And for those of you that actually know me, um, reading this, it's, it's actually pretty spot on, right? And so, um, it says, a world leader and a proud ruler. He's generous, he's considerate, he's helpful. Uh, Donald is, is strong and gentle. Uh, he sees humor in every situation. He notices the smallest needs of his family. He believes justice will triumph. He's admired for his way with people. He enjoys many activities, including sports. Um, he is resolute in all of his decisions. So I was reading, I was like, man, it's, it's kind of spot on. And I'm like, you know what, man, it's crazy because I, I went to school and I got a couple of degrees and, you know, I, I, you know I'm not going to say I'm Albert Einstein, but I consider myself to be a halfway knowledgeable person. But I was like, man, this resolute word, like, what does that mean? And so I went and I Googled the word resolute and it said purposeful and a purposeful and determined person, someone who wants to do something very much and won't let anything get in its way. And when I read that part, that's when it just really hit me. I was like, okay, man, this is like me to a T. And so when I started to think, when I started to write the sermon um, and going through the scripture, I'm like, you know, how do I start this off? How do I start this off? And so I'm, I'm thinking like a lot of people know, but for those of you that don't know, I'm ultimately ended up going to Florida State and playing ball down there um, and people know kind of like the backstory of it, and, and they hear all of these things. But the one thing that people don't know is kind of like how the journey started. Like anytime we're talking about it or people introduce things like that, they always just talk about just the FSU part, but they never talk about the, the journey to actually get there. And I remember on my 18th birthday, I was going down to, uh, I was going down to a camp, and it probably wasn't the, the smartest way to kind of get to camp, so to say. I took a Greyhound bus from Chicago to Tallahassee, Florida, right? 
and it was probably 20 degrees here in Chicago, but when I got down to Tallahassee, it was about 88 degrees. So, of course, I land down in Florida, and I got this huge winter coat on, and everybody was looking at me like I lost my living mind. The one thing that I remember so vividly about uh, that trip was obviously the exposure of my dream school or where I wanted to go and like all of these things. But I remember um, that long bus ride on the Greyhound bus. It was like 28 hours on a bus. And I wish somebody would have told me at that time that the bus, the Greyhound bus, uh, was going to stop like every two blocks it seemed. I did not know it was that many small cities from Chicago to Tallahassee, Florida. So it took us forever and a day to actually get there. But I, I, I met so many people on that trip, and I learned so much about uh, different walks of life. Um, and ultimately, well, you know, I went on Florida State and, and did all of that stuff. But I just kind of wanted to set this up. So just a little bit about me and how I grew up. I grew up, I grew up not... Um, I grew up poor. Let me just, let's just call it what it is, right? The people at the Salvation Army and the people at the thrift store, uh, they knew my parents, they knew my mom, because my dad never really took us shopping. He'd just give my mom the money. But they knew my mom and my two sisters and I. They almost knew us by name, because that's how often we were frequently shop. And I remember uh, the only time I would get anything uh, name brand or anything of notoriety, notoriety is it was, it was a hand-me-down from some of my cousins who were a little bit more fortunate, you know, than I was at that time. And so I always told myself, whenever I get the opportunity, I'm going to get a good education, I'm going to get a good job, I'm going to marry me a good honey, and um, I'm going to make a lot of money. And the way I grew up, I'm going to make sure I never have to live that way again. And God heard that, and he blessed it. So let's jump into um, our text for our subject today, A True Discipleship, Mark 10, uh, verse 17 through 27. It says, And Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not defraud. Honor your mother and your father. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus again said, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's a lot to, to kind of um, unfold in that text. 
so I, I, I remember uh, growing up in the church, and um, I remember being a part of this junior choir, right? So, they, so the purpose of this junior choir, and this is for every teenager out there that knows, the purpose of this junior choir in the church that we grew up in, we either had the sunshine band that was really little, um, or you had the adult choir, right? And so the teenagers, of course, never wanted to have anything to do with these little kids, although they were cute and they was always dressed in their Sundays, go to, you know, their Sundays best, um, they, they, they just never could get coordinated on things. The choir director is kind of swaying them back and forth, and we know kids, they're not really paying attention. You got kids bumping into each other, you, you know, they start fighting and pushing each other, you got one kid singing loud, you got nine kids not singing at all, so it sounds like a solo act, like it's all of these things that's going on. And of course, teenagers didn't really want to be a part of that because they was too cool to be a part of the Sunshine Band. But they was also too cool to be with the old people, right? And so this junior choir was formed, and it was for teenagers, 13 through 19. Once you became 20, you got kicked out of the junior choir, and now let's go sing with the adults. Well, one of, the, one of our favorite songs that we sang in the junior choir was a song that said, the lyrics were, gain the world, give me Jesus. You can have fortune or fame, you can have worldly acclaim, but I'm happy with Jesus. You can have the dinner course when you can have this old world, but I'll take Jesus for mine. So you think about that. You can have fortune or fame, you can have worldly acclaim, right? So take your mind, wherever you're viewing this from, take your mind outside of your local area. So I'm going to take myself outside of Round Lake Heights. I'm going to take myself outside of Illinois. Like, it's, it's some beautiful things in our country alone, right? You think about Hoover Dam. You think about Niagara Falls. You think about the Grand Canyon. It's some beautiful things in our country alone. But think about some of the historic things, uh, some of the historical sites that's a part of this world. Now ask yourself, are you willing to give up all of these things for Jesus? I think it's, I think it's easy or I don't want to say easy, but I think we can all agree on this. It's easier for a person uh, that's wealthy uh, to get access to things than somebody that does not have money. I think we all can agree on that. Money opens doors in many cases that most people, uh, money opens doors in many cases for wealthy that it necessarily wouldn't open uh, for somebody that was of a lesser stature, right? Like, think about this if you had some money. You get to sit courtside at your favorite basketball game, or you're sitting at the 50-yard line, you know, to, to watch your favorite sports team. Or you get to take your favorite honey, um, you get to take your favorite honey, uh, you know, to, to her favorite restaurant, Ocean View, looking over, the, you know, looking over Niagara Falls and, and all of these things. Guys, the perfect table for two. These are things that money will actually allow you to have access to. And my favorite one, being wealthy or having a little bit of money is, you know, I'm an amusement park enthusiast, right? But nobody wants to wait two hours in line for a 45-second ride. So money allows you to buy the fastest fast pass, so you are now skipping over all of the people that are standing in line waiting to get on your favorite roller coaster, right? 
Here's some other things that money allows you to do. Money allows you to go to the best colleges. Money allows your kids to get the best education. But the one thing that money does not allow, and it's probably the most important thing, is money does not allow you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Right? New Hope, when I think about the dynamics of our church, when I think about the dynamics of our church, it's not a bunch of doctors that go here. It's not a bunch of lawyers. It's not a bunch of professors. It's not a bunch of high-profile people that go here. But when I think and I look at New Hope, we put God first. So even though we have people that work regular nine-to-fives and we have teachers and we have nurses, and this is not to diminish any teachers, and this is not to diminish any nurses because my wife is a nurse, but when I look at what we have here, because New Hope keeps God first, we continue to be blessed, right? Like, like Pastor Gary just said in the announcements where we set a certain dollar amount that we wanted to raise to help one of our sister churches. And, and we blew that number above and beyond out of water, right? But think about this. Almost any mechanism of money is actually tied to, to uh, almost any mechanism of pleasure, should I say, is oiled within having access to a superior amount of money, right? The universal passport to anywhere you want to get to is how much cash you have access to. I, I was telling a story um, a couple of weeks ago. The first time I took my wife, the first, like, we, so we got married, and <laughs> it's like we still laugh at this, we got married, and I'm talking about Florida State earlier. We got married, and two weeks after we got married, I went away to college, and my wife stayed here. And so, of course, my father-in-law was not happy with that. And I remember telling my wife, like, we got one or two choices. We can either have this big, extravagant wedding, or we can go to college, and then once we get out, the money that we would have saved on this big, extravagant wedding, we can go buy a house and kind of live happily ever after. And so we didn't go on our honeymoon until, like, 10 years after we got married. But I remember we went, to, uh, we went to Cancun, and one of the eighth wonders of the world is the pyramids at Chichen Itza. And so we took this, this long bus tour, and they took us to all of these little small cities, and they gave us a lot about the culture and the history, the Mexican culture, a lot of these things with pyramids and how the Mayan ruins came, like all of this great information that, that um, we were just both amazed by. I think I was more amazed than Ruthie because she slept through most of it. Um, but it was just so great. And so they gave us this huge buildup until we got to the actual part where we entered the park for Chichen Itza. And now here is this huge pyramid. And I noticed they had it roped off. And everybody's taking all these crazy pictures and, you know, doing these little things with the camera. And then the way it came out, you looked like you was bigger than the mountains. All of these effects from cameras, right? And I remember asking our tour guide, because I'm a curious person, hey, man, I want to go to the top. There's holes up at the top. I want to go to the top. I want to go look inside. I want to go see all of these things that you told me about. And he said, well, about five years ago, we actually had to uh, stop allowing people to go in because what happened is people would climb these historical buildings, and then when they got to the top and they got to go inside, the one thing that they would do was they, they would vandalize it, right? 
they get etched their names and the walls and all of this other stuff. So we want to preserve one of the eight wonders of the world. He said, however, when the park closes for a small nominal fee, I can take you up to the top and you can see inside. So it got me thinking, here is this national, uh, here's this, this, this worldly treasure, right? One of the eighth wonders of the world, and they don't allow people to go in there anymore. But if you have access to a certain level of cash, you can actually go in. But the sad part about it is, uh, it doesn't matter how much cash you have access to, you can't enter into heaven, right? So here in the story this morning, we discover that there is one door that there is no amount of money that you can buy your way into, right? When it comes to the story this morning of the rich young ruler, I learned that when it comes to seeking eternal life, uh, you've got to be careful what you ask for, right? Here's why. Money allows us to have access to things that most people don't necessarily have access to, but money in this situation did the exact opposite. It did the exact opposite. See, Jesus said, tell them, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. So, so money did the exact opposite, right? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know, when they was recording the story of the young man, he approached the right person. Now, who's the right person? Jesus. He approached the right person, and he approached the right person in the right way, and he asked the right questions. See, his heart was, his heart was what he thought was pure because he, he saw Jesus, he humbled himself, and he asked the questions, how can I have eternal life? And so I tell people all the time, sometimes you've got to be careful what you ask for because you just may get it or you may not be happy with the answer that you get, right? And so Jesus told him, Jesus told him, uh, the way, the truth, and the life comes through the Father, but by me. And so he's asking, thinking, well, I got all of this money. He's the perfect candidate. He's young. He's rich. He's wealthy. He's got all of these things. He's humble, but he's not willing to part ways with it, right? So that got me to thinking as I was writing this, and God really convicted me in this. A good friend of mine, a lot of you guys know I collect sports memorabilia, but if you didn't know, now you know, so hey, my birthday is coming up, send me something nice. I appreciate it, right? But a good friend of mine, I remember having this conversation with him a couple years back, and um, he, he, like, he, he's, he had all of this stuff. He's, like I'm telling y'all, like, it's like a museum, some of the stuff that this guy has. And of course, when you first get started in anything, you start with what you have and you're grateful and you're appreciative of what you have. But at some point, you're going to want more. And if you try to deny me on that, I challenge you to go meet with the Lord and ask God to show you your sin in that. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's humanly innate in us. When we get our first car, guess what? We satisfied with that car. My first car was a 1984 Buick Regal. I'll never forget it. When I got that car, I drove it around like it was the brand newest Bentley off the showroom floor. But after about two years of consistently having to fix things on that car, it was time for me to go get something new. It's the exact same thing 
in the memorabilia world. So I'm having this conversation with him, and I got these things, and I'm like, I, I'm grateful for what I have, but, but I'm, I'm looking at him, and he's got all of this stuff, and I'm like, dude, like, you got this, and you got that, and, you got, and like, my excitement was probably, like, too much for him. And he, he, said, he said, Don, he said, at the end of the day, it's just stuff. Now, me being young and me, me being excited about this new hobby that I have, like, it's more than just stuff to me. Like, dude, you got the shoes that Michael Jordan played in when he had the flu in Utah, and he hit the shot, and then Scottie Pippen had to carry him to the bit. Like, you got this, and you saying that's just stuff? No, man, you don't understand. Done. It's just stuff. So as I'm writing this and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, maybe it's a reason God didn't allow me to have access to those things that he had in that moment because then I would have began to worship those instead of worshiping my Savior. See, that's the difficult part about this, right? What are you willing to part ways with? I've got an extensive memorabilia collection now. And as I was writing this, like, I was convicted because I started kind of going back and forth with Jesus when I was writing this saying, well, 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 wait a minute, do I have to give up this to get in? Like, what are you willing to part ways with, right? So, the man had everything. He had riches. He had fame. He, like, he had all of these things. But the best part about him was he was humble. How many of us know somebody that's humble? How many of us know, how, I can't say how many of us know somebody that's humble. I take that statement back. How many of us know somebody that's wealthy that's humble? In most cases, those two just don't mix, right? Because typically, the more we have, the more arrogant we become, right? It's 24 hours in a day. Everybody gets the same 24 hours in a day. I just chose to spend my time building my fortune when you chose to spend your time sleeping so you don't have access to the things. Like, we hear all of these things, right? We hear all of these things. The sad part about it was the young man, the young rich ruler, he left the conversation and he left it sad, right? Think, think about it. He didn't leave the conversation angry. He didn't leave the, congress, the conversation furious. He left the conversation sad, but you know what? When he left the conversation, Jesus was as equally as sad. Because here's somebody that has everything that he could ever imagine, but he was, it, Jesus was sad because it was difficult for him to part ways with it. He said, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. Right? Think about this. Think about this. Everything is eventually going to go out of style. It's, it's, it's all going to go out of style. Clothes going to go out of style. People in the 70s probably never thought bell bottoms was going out of style, but they did, right? I know for me growing up in the 90s, I never thought the baggy pants and the baggy jackets and things were going to go out of style, but now everything is skin tight and form-fitting. Like, things are going to go out of style. Music is going to go out of style, right? Uh, clothes are going to go out of style. TV shows are eventually going to, going to run their course within that series. Movies are going to go out of style, and I don't care how many times they try to remake the old movies, they always mess it up. Like, things are going to go out of style. So guess what? 
if, if everyday life things are going to go out of style, materialistic things are going to go out of style as well. But the one true thing that will never go out of style is the kingdom of God, but more importantly, your walk with him. I, I remember being in college and I remember being in college and um, you know, talking about, you know, successful people and being humble and things like that. I remember being in college and me and one of my good friends, one of our favorite uh, shows to kind of talk about, you know, when we had some downtime was, uh, uh, there was a show called Making the Band, where this, this famous rapper, you know, he was kind of putting this band together. And here's somebody that's rich, he's got influence, he's got all of this stuff, and he's got all of these people that are going through this competition for this record deal. But they came in so arrogant, so the way for him to humble them is he made them walk from Manhattan to Brooklyn to get him some cheesecake. I've never been to New York. I heard it's a long walk. I know they had to cross the Brooklyn Bridge. But that same gentleman was on vacation towards the end of it, and because of who he was, he sent, he sent the waiter back. Uh, because his orange juice wasn't a certain temperature. He sent them back like seven times. Like, nope, taste it, spit it out. This is not cold enough. Then bring it back. Oh, this is now, this is too cold. Like he sent them back seven times. So, th so think about, and like as we're getting into this, think about it. People that typically have a lot of money or have a lot of wealth are typically not a lot of nice people. But there are people out there that are nice, right? And so God wanted this man to make sure that he had eternal life. So substitute the worldly possessions for everything that you're going to have uh, in heaven, right? But the man didn't, he, like he just, he, he, for whatever reason, he couldn't part ways with it. And when I'm reading this and I'm writing it and I'm looking at some of the stuff that I have, right? Some, some of the possessions that I have, I'm starting to negotiate starting to negotiate. So I'm, I'm preaching to me today. You guys on Facebook, on social media, people that are watching on our website, you guys just get to listen to me have a discussion with myself, but I just ask you to apply those things to your life. And I'm thinking about some of the, some of the nice pieces that I have, and, and I'm negotiating with Jesus on how do I give this up? How, like, like, and it's just like, really? Like, really, dude? Really? Like, this is hard. How do you give up something that you worked so hard for? Because I remember what I grew up from, right? So Mark teaches us uh, to enter into the kingdom of heaven is more importantly, um, and he makes it perfectly clear that salvation is not a human achievement. It's not a human achievement. See, see we've, we've, we've gotten to the point where we look at what we have, we looked at what we've earned, we look at how many people we've helped, and we think that's going to be enough to get us in. Oh, well, I went down to the, to the homeless shelter and I helped feed, you know, the people. Or I donated this and, 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 and that helped, you know, build this rec center. Yeah, that's all fine, great, and dandy. But that's not enough to get you in, Right? See, see, the young man, the young rich ruler, asked, he asked Jesus, like, what do I have to do to gain access into heaven? And he was sad based upon the answer that he received. So, so 
as I said earlier, a lot of times we have to be careful what we ask for, right? Because here's this. I teach financial education, right? I teach financial education. And people come to me all the time and say, man, Coach D, like, like man, I want to be like you. And, and like, I want to live a, a stress-free life. And I want to retire by the time I'm 49. And, and I want to make sure my kids' college is paid for. Like, I want to have all of these things. Like, how can I do it? And then when I start to break down how to get yourself out of the debt that you're enslaved to, they're not ready for it, right? When we're talking about minimizing taxes, when we're talking about eliminating debt, and when we're talking about cutting expenses, now it's the hard part. Now it's the hard part, right? Because here's the deal. It's easy for somebody to pull out that credit card and swipe something, but it's very difficult for somebody to have what I like to call plastic surgery, right? It's hard to have plastic surgery because we've been taught and groomed that, hey, I struggled, so now I'm going to reward myself just based upon what I didn't have when I wanted it. Now I can afford to pay it. But you ultimately came to me and said, Coach D, I want to be debt-free. So how will you ever be debt-free if you're not willing to have plastic surgery? Right? So the young man was equally, like he was equally sad, and Jesus was sad as well, because he knew that the young man had a false sense of security from all of the stuff that he was losing and his worldly possessions. Right? And so, so my wife and I, like, we've been fortunate. You know, when, we, when I'm thinking about this, I'm like, man, God, like, like this is difficult to preach, and this, like, this is some hard stuff because it, it's a lot of truth, and I'm being convicted in it. Like, we have a barbecue at our house every year because uh, we got a huge backyard, and then we've got a ginormous field out back. And so we've had, a, we've had this barbecue at our house for the last 10 years. Last year was the first time we didn't have it, and it was due to COVID. Um, and people are already starting to call this year and ask, you know, hey, man, are you guys going to have the barbecue? No, COVID is still a real thing. But we think about, I th- I, like, I'm writing this, and I'm like, man, I look at all of the people that we've fed over the last 10 years ribs and sausage and chicken and corn and all of this stuff, you know, three, four barbecue grills going. People come out and they have a great time. And then it was like I was convicted because I now want a bigger house thinking that I'm going to feed more people, right? The bigger the house I have, the more land I have, the more people that I can feed. And then Jesus fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. So talk about being humble, right? So then the disciples, right, they were amazed. Verse 24 and 25, the disciples were amazed at his word. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the, needle, uh, through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. I think about this illustration. Think like, because it's, it's, it's one of the simplest illustrations, but it's powerful. It's extremely powerful, right? Those of us that have been around the last 10 years, and that's everybody that's in this, in this uh, sanctuary, and a lot of you that are watching, we saw the Cubs win the World Series a few years back, and it took them 108 years to do it, right? We saw the New England Patriots a couple years ago come back from 28 down in the fourth quarter to win the Super Bowl. But I don't care if it's a pre-kindergartner in a sunshine band 
or somebody that sings in a senior choir. I think we can all agree that if we left 10 years, 100 years, 10,000 years, or a million years, a camel will never enter through the needle of an eye, the eye of a needle, should I say, right? It's just it, like it will never happen. Even though we thought we would never see the Cubs win the World Series, it eventually came to pass. I don't care how long it takes, a camel entering into the eye of a needle is something that will never happen. But then the disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, well, then who can be saved? That's the million-dollar question, right? Jeremiah 13 and 23 tells us a leopard, can a, it asks us, can a leopard change its spots? Right? Can a leopard change its spot? So can a leopard one day wake up and say, you know what? I don't want to be a leopard anymore. I don't want to have these spots. I don't want to have any of these things. A leopard can't change his stripes to, can't change his spots to a zebra who has stripes. A leopard can't turn into a lion. A leopard can't turn into an elephant. A leopard can't turn into a giraffe. It's just like it's just humanly impossible. But what us as Christians do is because a leopard is ultimately at the end of the day going to be a leopard, a sinner at the end of the day is ultimately going to be a sinner. And the only way a sinner can change his sin is if he confesses and turns his life to Christ. That's the only way. Walking an old lady across the street is a great and noble deed, but that does not make you any less of a sinner, right? Volunteering at a homeless shelter is something that is phenomenal, but that's not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. True discipleship is the only way that you'll be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not doing anything wrong. It's not not honking a horn, horn when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Those are all great, noble things. Don't get me wrong. And we should practice those things even more so in society. But unfortunately, it's not enough. Right? We don't understand who we really are, but we can't, like, we don't understand who we really, until we understand, should I say, who we really are, we'll never be able to change it never be able to change it. The only way to understand who we really are is to dig into his word and see what true discipleship means, right? So, so my question to you is what worldly possessions are you willing to give up? What worldly possessions are you willing to go sell and give to the poor so that you can enter into the kingdom of heaven? Like what worldly possessions are you willing to give up? I know for me that question was extremely difficult because when I look back on a lot of the sports memorabilia and things like that that I've amassed, I'm like, man, this is some, this is some dope stuff, man. Like, y'all don't understand. It's like, a basement. it's like a museum in the basement of my house. And I look at my 401K and I look at my stock options and I look at all of these things that I have, like, it, it, it just became very difficult because I'm giving, up, I'm giving up the known for what my mind couldn't perceive in the unknown of heaven. So as I get ready to close out today, true discipleship, it's not easy. It's not easy. I'm not standing here telling you that, it, that it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. I struggled and I stopped writing this sermon three different times this week because it was hard, because God convicted me in a lot of the things that I'm actually standing here telling you guys today. But what comes easy is never satisfying. 
What comes easy leads to ruin. What comes easy makes you not work hard or appreciate it. But if you just stay the course and you keep the faith and you practice true discipleship, you sell the things that you need to, you help feed the poor, but most importantly, you put your heart and your trust in Jesus, you ultimately be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven because there's no amount of money and there's no worldly possession that will be able to make that switch or that trade. Go be the people of God and ask God to show you what are you willing to trade to enter into his kingdom. God bless and have a great day.